The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from PKD Podcast helps me talk about the music of Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness, for the GameCube. While it may seem like a slightly expanded version of Colosseum, there's actually a ton of new audio content to cover, with our selections highlighting new areas, new characters, and of course, Shadow Lugia. On top of all that, there's the usual game discussion after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PQE Podcast, and we're doing yet another Pokemon side game music discussion. So, we've come to Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness for the GameCube. This one is is kind of interesting. It's it's a follow-up or expansion or whatever to Pokemon Coliseum for the GameCube. Uh, but although it takes place in the same basic world, there are a lot of new areas, a lot of new music, actually, and uh, some other stuff we'll talk about in our game discussion at the end. But um, let's see. As far as when this game originally released, we'll start there. Uh, came out in Japan in August of 2005. North America was October 2005. Uh, Australia and Europe were in November of 2005. So actually a pretty compressed time range uh, than we've seen with some other games that we've talked about in this series. As I understand, Anne, uh, you don't really have too much experience with this game. Uh, is there a reason for that? Um, well, I've never owned a GameCube is the basic reason. And um, yeah, in my later years, I, well, I still don't own a GameCube, but uh, it's also a lot harder to find. It's a game that I don't often see at conventions and stuff when they bring video games and possibly because i think you were telling me earlier right now it's running for like triple digits so yeah there's a lot of obstacles to me owning and playing this game yeah so very fortunately i did get this game when it originally came out i might have gotten it for christmas in 2005 that's a pretty likely possibility but i did pick up a copy and yeah, as you mentioned, it sold decently well. It sold over a million copies worldwide, which I think was less than Coliseum, but still not exactly rare by any stretch of the imagination. Um, however, if you look for this on eBay or Amazon or something, you'll notice the price. Yeah, I think I've seen it uh, listed for like over $200. Um, and I think that's attributable to a couple different things. One of those is, of course, the... Uh, ongoing surge in retro game prices as a result of the pandemic and people having more free time. Um, also, it's the 25th anniversary year for Pokemon, which I'm sure has bolstered up used game sales a fair bit there as well. So you put all that together and you get that. So if you want to get a copy of this game, it's it's going to cost you. <laughs> but I, I did get it when it came out. I think I actually talked to someone from the Pokemon company about that in an interview at a, an event in Chicago or whatever that year. But uh, definitely enjoyed it. I didn't actually beat it until within the last year or so and uh, got through the game that way. 
But uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it made some definite improvements over the first one, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that it isn't available more easily, which is, I guess, kind of too bad. All right, well, let's talk about some of the um, people behind this game. Since this is a follow-up to Pokemon Coliseum, it probably doesn't surprise you this game was also made by Genius Sonority. So uh, they've been making Pokemon side games. I think their last game, as as we're talking here, is still Pokemon Cafe Mix that came out last year. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something else from them eventually. Um, and the music was done, again, by uh, Tsukasa Tawada, who has worked on pretty much all of the Genius Sonority Pokemon games doing music. As far as the overall style... The Colosseum game had uh, a definite Western edge, and there's still some of that in here. Um, but with some of the new areas added, I think there's some sci-fi, more sci-fi elements, as well as some more fun and happy, and sometimes even silly music. And uh, how, how do you kind of feel the uh, the sound has sort of progressed, more generally speaking, since Colosseum in this game? Well, it's definitely yeah, a wider variety. Um a lot of different genres. I noticed like a kind of island tropical on a lot of the tracks I was looking at. And it wasn't until um, one of the tracks I picked that I was like, oh, hey, finally, this is the Ore region because this is the same um, Pokemon Coliseum world. But yeah, like there's way different options. Um, There's like some cinematic like movie score type music going on in places. So They've definitely broadened their horizons. Yeah, the places that return from Coliseum have mostly the same music with maybe a few tweaks. Like I think uh, Phoenix City has an extra section in its music and stuff like that. Um, but uh, the re-emerging places tend to have the same music as the uh, the previous game. So going into some more specifics, uh, as is usually the case, Anne and I have each picked out three songs that we're going to discuss in, in detail. The three I picked are Dr. Kaminko's uh, Manor, I hope I said that relatively close, the Poke Spot theme, and Citadark Island. And what were the three you picked? I picked uh, Jovi's theme, uh, the Shadow Lugia battle, and um, not Rumba of Love, actually, we'll talk about that later, the Hexagon Brothers theme. Yeah, we, we kind of ran into a track that, in one case, uh, was mislabeled on YouTube, so we got a little bit of confusion there, and I had to clarify with Anne. Uh, but we'll be going sort of loosely in the order you would encounter these in the game, maybe not exactly, but we're going to start with one of my picks, which is Dr. Kaminko's Manor. Again, I hope I said that relatively close. It's very much a, a, a Japanese-sounding name there. Mm-hmm. But basically, this is sort of the um, I, the good... Uh, mad scientist uh, area you, you go in there. Now, the exterior area has this very scary theme because there's lots of lightning and stuff. It's almost like the exterior in like a Luigi's Mansion game type of thing. But when you actually get in there, um, the music there has a, a very much a, a happy factory type of vibe with a lot of percussion. And was that sort of the, the impression you got there? Yeah, like I love these... Um kind of steel drums and I think it's like pan flutes almost like like she is the most vibe in person in the neighborhood and it kind of this is where I feel like it like yeah there's a very tropical feel and a lot of instrumentation and um not motifs but 
some of the musical choices reflect some of the other areas and themes and music local to that section of the game. It's a very interesting choice, but I love it for her. It's eccentric, but also fun. Yeah, I'm not sure I would say tropical there, but there's definitely uh, some of those elements you talked about. One reason I wanted to bring this particular track up is that, you know, for factory music in games, there are different ways you can go based on what type of factory you're going into. You know, in some cases you have a factory, it's a very depressing, monotonous place. Like I'm thinking like uh, Smithy's Factory in Super Mario RPG or um, other games. I'm thinking also, I think uh, Paper Mario Color Splash has a very similar factory type setting with much more dour music. That is not what this building is going for here, clearly. And any any thoughts on that comparison there? Um, no, just beyond, like, again, it's not the stereotypical choice, and good. I'm always on board for that, so. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it generally makes sense given the, the character and their role. It's kind of interesting. I think there's also, like, a an assistant character that you can actually see and describe some of the inventions that are kind of silly versions of various things like a uh, a refrigerator that stops cooling as soon as you move away from it and stuff like that. Uh, so they're not going for the most serious thing, but it is kind of an important place and some important characters for the plot of the game. Speaking of plot characters, Anne, you brought up Jovi's theme. First of all, who is Jovi? And then tell us a little bit about this song. All right, so yeah, Jovi is, I believe she's you, the protagonist's little sister. She's kind of a person that you have to talk to at occasion, and she kind of sets in motion a lot of plot things. She's kind of the typical little girl, little sister character. She's sometimes a bit annoying or has little moments of temper, refers to herself in the third person a lot, but she is a very cute design, and much simpler compared to her brother, Michael, who seems to be going for some kind of winter soldier meets Digimon thing. But I just was really taken with her melody because it's very simple. It's kind of got the pan flutes and almost kind of very outdoorsy, near tropical vibe that I also got from the manor track. And it's very repetitive. It's been stuck in my head for basically since I started working on um, finding songs for this project just it's very cute and sweet and innocent and very recognizable which i think is exactly what they were going for yeah thank you very much for the pan flute i knew it was some sort of uh i put down organ and i knew that wasn't quite right there because it's not quite that stately of an instrument but definitely reflects the character um i know you have a a lot of younger siblings i just have the, the one younger sister and you know i can Certainly relate to this uh, a little bit there. <laughs> Anything else about this song you really wanted to call out? Um, no, because uh, unlike your track, this is a very almost stereotypical music choice. But again, it's very effective at what it does. Yeah, I think Jovi actually does have like one other thing for when she's sad during a cutscene or something like that. There's a, a secondary yeah, theme a there, different... but. All right, well, let's go on to my second pick, which is the Poke Spot theme. So, you may recall if you've played Colosseum that there aren't really any wild Pokemon to be caught in that game. And 
Here in Gale of Darkness, there isn't really a whole lot either, but to sort of provide that, they have these things called the Poke Spots that you can put down. I forget if it's called bait or something else uh, there. And periodically, you'll get a message that a wild Pokemon is is there, and you can go ahead and try and catch them. Um, now, there are, I should point out, there are three of these places, uh, but they all have the same music, which is uh, kind of interesting. Um, a, a song that has kind of a banjo-slash-country feel is what I put down for this. It honestly reminds me of a lot of stuff from the fifth movie short. This is the uh, the the Pikachu and Pichu part two, I guess, where they're on the train and stuff like that. And on Camp, P- Camp Pikachu is the name of that short in English. That's right. And were those uh, similar to the observations you made? Um, I hadn't thought back to Camp Pikachu, but now that you bring it up, yes. Yeah, I was more kind of like, oh, this reminds me of some of those levels in Pokemon Coliseum where they went real heavy into the classical country western banjo walking into the saloon and there's like a piano role playing kind of songs. So it was kind of nice to have that continuity. I hadn't thought of the almost anime connection there, though. Yeah, I suppose this track does work with some of the the Western vibes that are still carried over in places from from Coliseum. So uh, it certainly works on that level. But yeah, it, it, this definitely, like I said, it also brought me the Camp Pikachu vibes. Sort of the other point I wanted to make, though, this is used for three very different areas. They have similar functions, and I think each one has a different set of Pokemon that you can potentially catch there. But um, the locations themselves aesthetically are very different. Uh, One of them is a cave. One of them is an oasis in the desert, so it's like that stereotypical palm trees and and a small lake surrounded by desert. It's one of those. And then there's also a rock poke spot, which I think is is outside, but there's uh, tall cliffs all around you. And, you know, I think of those three, it probably works best for the rock one, not so well for the cave or the oasis, um, just because you kind of expect something a little more tropical sounding with the oasis and maybe something a little bit more open with the cave. I don't know. Anne, any thoughts on that? Yeah, like, to give directorial notes on a project I'm not working on, like, I'm always a fan of strong choices and atypical choices, but this is one of those occasions where sometimes the bold choice does not work. And to this one, to have the same theme that doesn't really seem to fit, like, like calls up very different images than the visuals are giving you, in this case, it's really not working. So I think this was a, an area where they might have benefited from like having maybe the same instruments and the same melodies, but play them with slightly different instruments to kind of vary it up a bit, I think would have been worth considering. Yeah, I'm not sure if this was some case where they added the other two spots later or changed their appearance or stuff like that on uh, Sukasa. That could certainly be the situation. And, and technically speaking, you know, if there is something there, you're not going to spend a ton of time there before you just go in and, uh, you know, try and catch the Pokemon that's appeared there. So, But I did kind of want to point that out as something that maybe didn't work as well as it could have or we would have liked. 
All right, well, Anne, why don't we go to your second pick? This is the Hexagon Brothers. We did get a little confused, but yes, this is the Hexagon Brothers. Uh, who are those exactly, and what's their theme like? Oh, these uh, delightful kids. Um, they're a team of, like, they almost look like a Sentai team, like the Power Rangers. There's a, it's a group of six brothers, and they're all color-coded. They, you know, they go red, a blue, and orange, red, purple, no, I said red already. Anyway, you get the idea. And they're all, they all have six in their name. It's, it's special. They're the comedic relief, I think, of this game. Um, you meet them and they're like always, they have like this intro that they do, but they're always miscounting how many of them there are. It's, it's great. But this song, I originally picked it because it was named Rumba of Love on the, the track list I was going with. And I thought was I chose it basically because it did not sound the slightest bit like a rumba, and I thought that was worth discussing. But now that I'm listening to it and know the proper context, it's it's just a really cute song. It's full of fun. There's kind of a feeling of unsettlingness um, where it kind of builds up and then it kind of feels like you're waiting for something to happen and there's like moments almost of comedic little flourishes and there's little whistles and it's like it reminds me of these brothers now that I realize that that's the situation it's it's a kind of just a fun track there's a lot going on it feels like you forgot something at some point so I think it fits what those characters were meant to do yeah, the Power Rangers comparison, I guess going back to Super Mario RPG, that has the Axum Rangers as well. But yeah, these these characters, um, each of their colors actually corresponds to what kind of Pokemon they have on their team. So like the, the red one will have a fire team, the blue one has a water team, the yellow one has an electric team, so on and so forth. But um, as far as the song goes, yeah, I put down Silly for this one. Um, cause that was kind of what I had to say as far as the track you mistook, that's also a good one. Rumba of love. I would kind of wish I had a little more to say about the hexagon brothers song, but I, I think it was a good one to call out. Yeah. And it's, it's just a cute little moment in this game. That's just a lot of fun. So I, I enjoyed it. Originally written for the 2000 Olympics, the extra mile predictably includes a large number of sports related phrases, including references to races, archery, and recognition for one's personal feats. While Sydney wasn't in the cards for this song, it did manage to find a home on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack, and it's easy to see why. In addition to the events of the movie drawing a large amount of attention, Ash is required to traverse rocky terrain, put his faith in a pair of wings, and perform other feats in order to fulfill his role. You could even consider the shrine where the ritual takes place to be a podium of sorts, or the artifact where the stones are put to be some sort of trophy case. The song doesn't solely focus on the hero, though, as during the second verse, assuming I'm interpreting it correctly, the lyrics acknowledge the contributions of others that allowed the leader to achieve their goals. In the original use case, that was probably coaches, teammates, and family members, but in the movie, you could certainly apply it to Ash's Pokemon and traveling companions. No chosen one does it alone, after all. Anyway, if you'd like to know more about this song, I have an interview with co-writer Pam Shane within the episode description. Thanks. 
All right. Well, we're definitely taking a bit of a tonal turn with our last couple uh, choices. My third choice is Sidark Island, which um, is sort of the final area of the game, at least in terms of the main story progression. Um, Try not to spoil too much here, although we will spoil the final boss in just a little bit. But this is sort of the area where you go in to face some of the last trainers in the game. Now, one motif that is kind of prominent in here is there's uh, the... It's in a different key than what I'm about to say here, but it's the da-da-da-da, which a lot of you will know is a uh, common set of chimes on like old like grandfather clocks and stuff like that. I want to point out this motif specifically for a couple of reasons, but first of all, I was pretty sure this probably had some sort of name and it apparently is called the Winchester chimes where there are there are different chimes for the hour in each of the quarters and so on and so forth. Kind of the interesting thing is that it shows up a lot in music and it's even shown up in Pokemon music a couple times. Such as, let's see, there's uh, Motostoke City from Pokemon Sword and Shield, and then a slightly altered version is a guest use in Slateport City in Ruby and Sapphire, which, which might kind of explain the lineage here. But as I sort of mentioned, this is a much darker melody, so it's more saying that, you know, you're coming to the end of the game, the, the final showdown, you know, your time is running out, or however you want to say it there. And I just sort of put out a lot of stuff there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, this is definitely um, your your ending theme. It's so, so oh, perfect. Um, one thing I really liked, uh, somebody pointed out to me, is that they kind of incorporate in the first, like, 20 seconds, well, about 20 seconds in, rather, the opening music of the game, like the the main menu music. Which is really cool, I think. It really shows some some forethought and continuity. But yeah, it's just so... It just feels like the climax. It's great. Kind of Dragon Quest-like. It's got all the qualities you kind of want in a final area theme, where it's got the the sort of foreboding and all that other stuff to let you know, yeah, you've arrived at the, you know, the, the enemy base and you're going to take on the big bad and all that stuff. So speaking of taking on the big bad, so if you, I said it was a spoiler earlier, but it's on the cover of the, uh, of the <laughs> game or whatever, or and in the logo. So Sort of the last thing you do is you battle, uh, his name is Grievel, obviously a portmanteau of greedy and evil, is sort of the last boss in this game. In addition to a full team of his own, you also get to battle Shadow Lugia. And you picked this out, why don't you tell us a little bit about the battle theme for that? Okay, so this is the cool battle theme vibe that we all came here for. This is the song we pictured in our minds when we saw that cover and Lugia being all dramatic. This is the one where I was saying, like, it's kind of a cinematic score to it. It's This is, like, songs that I might hear in a Pokemon movie. It very successfully, like, builds ten- tension. There's a lot of timpani drums. I again, I feel almost like I have heard this in some Pokemon movies. Like it's very much scored in that style, so I think it's a perfect choice for a uh, an ending. This is your final boss theme. The only criticism I have is maybe it doesn't really fit 
musically with all the rest of the tracks always but it i don't know i really like this particular track in isolation so well i thought it was okay especially like you combine it with Sid Dark island um even though they're yeah. melodically separate it, it definitely totally fits there one thing i wrote down is that there are a lot of very short notes especially from like the orchestra it's all synth as far as i know which sort of, I guess, keeps you on your toes a little bit there. Um, now, you mentioned movies, and since this is Lugia, we kind of got to contrast this to, you know, Pokemon 2000, Lugia's Explosive Birth, whatever you want to call it, because this is clearly not going in the same direction as either uh, score version to that movie, uh, for sure. And I, I assuming I'm assuming part of that just because it's a shadow, uh, dark Lugia type of deal there. Um, but I don't know, Anne. What are your kind of thoughts in that area? Well, I think in our hearts we all know we want Lugia's theme in there. I think definitely, given that there is a difference between the Japanese Lugia's theme and the English Lugia's theme, that already creates a wrinkle. Because do you want the English release of this game to have a different... Do you want to rescore it to fit that theme in? There's probably some licensing uh, issues going on there. There's probably a lot of hurdles that would have to be breached to make that happen. But I think deep down, yeah, like whenever Lugia appears, we want that that do-do-do-do-do theme coming in. And it fits both with um, positive appearances of Lugia and negative shadow mysterious appearances of Lugia. So, you know, musically, I think there's no reason not to. Uh, practically, in this world we live in, I I can see why maybe it didn't happen. I suppose so. I mean, we can also bring up stuff like uh, the Hoopa movie and The Power of Us for things where Lugia maybe wasn't handled that exactly. But I really want to say this is a, a great... Uh, theme. I, I'm fairly certain Stukasa Tawada knew what he was up against when he had to write a Lugia battle theme. And he definitely put a lot of effort into this, just judging by how it sounds. I think I'm more okay with this version just because it is sort of a dark Lugia, uh, you know, a shadow Lugia. So if they were to use one of the versions, I think from uh, either version of movie two, I think they would have had to, you know, change the key and stuff like that mm. uh, to make it work here, you know, um, which I guess they could do would be kind of interesting. One thought I had is if they ever remake the second movie, if they could incorporate this, uh, at least in the dub, I know that Lawrence the Third, the human bad guy from that movie, does have a theme I think by design, not as memorable as Lugia's, but maybe this could kind of work there. I'm not sure. That's a thought. Structurally, one one thing I wanted to bring up here, though, is that, you know, this is the basically the last big battle of the main story. So this this song goes on for a couple minutes, but I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of folks who, when they're playing it, only heard a small portion of it because they just chucked their master ball that they've been saving at Lugia to catch it. Um, that is not what I did when in my playthrough. I actually uh, used that on something else and wound up using uh, a bunch of timer balls to try and catch Lugia. Um, so I ended up hearing quite a bit of this in my playthrough, as well as a lot of the uh, <laughs> rattling Pokeball sounds, because this is a very difficult Pokemon to catch. 
But uh, I, I, heard, I just basically saw that some folks bring that up in the comments and any comments uh, of your own. Um, well, given that I didn't actually uh, play this game myself, I, I don't know if I have much to uh, offer. I probably would have been in team Chuck the Master Ball because I know when the legendaries show up, they tend to run away on me. And it's I'm never quite sure if this is the legendary that's going to stay put until I'm done with it or the one that... You know, like the Entei, where I have to chase it all over Johto. So, I know where I am in life, so. All right, well, before we move on to our kind of overall thoughts about uh, the music of the game, I did want to bring in one comment we got in the chat room. This is from, let's see, Fat Albert 135 so there are a lot of new characters in this game, but one that returns is Mir B is back, although he does have a different uh, theme song. I'm not sure if he meant his appearance theme song or the battle theme song. They're both, I think, pretty cool. The battle one has uh, very much a electronic dance vibe, and I, I definitely approve of that one. And I don't know if you had particular thoughts on them rescoring Mir B for this game. He uh, he is a a treasure. Like I definitely just love that when he comes, his music is like, and now for something completely different, we're gonna have a dance battle. It's a lot of fun, and I I can tell like looking through the comments, um, a lot of people um like Mirror B and the, his theme. I don't know that I have much to say about it. It kind of feels it's very eighties. It feels very disco, and I love that. I was born in 86. I am here for it. it. It's a lot of fun. Well, technically, disco was like mid to late 70s and very early well, 80s whatever. as it started to fade out. But <laughs> dance music is its natural successor. Um, but there is a lot of t- tracks. You, we obviously mentioned uh, Rumba of Love. We almost wound up bringing it into our discussion, but... Despite the uh, common criticism that this game doesn't offer a lot new, in the musical department, it certainly does, and there's a lot of stuff we could have picked out. Uh, Most of the battle themes are, in fact, new and and all that stuff. So uh, did not lack for material in terms of uh, picking songs on this one. Yeah, I'm sure we could get another three episodes out of this if we wanted to. Yeah, so definitely, if you somehow missed this game, at least check out the soundtrack and some other stuff. If you ever have a chance to play it at a convention or something like that, or at a friend's house or something, uh, I would say seriously avail yourself for that. And uh, with that being said, I guess we should give our overall opinions of the music. As I kind of said there, uh, it's probably the most expanded aspect of the game, because with most of the battle themes being new and... uh, and very good effort on a lot of them. I'm not sure all the replaced battle themes for like the normal battle and the like the bad guy uh, minion battle themes that I like them more or as much, but they definitely had effort put into them. And there's a lot of really memorable and diverse stuff. I think, Anne, I think that's about your uh, sort of overall opinion as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's definitely they didn't just stick to the same old when making this game. They they branched out in a lot of ways, tried a lot of new things, brought a lot of new content musically to the game. 
Yeah, I think uh, Sukasa Tawada did uh, a very good job, as usual. Uh, you can sort of see in, in some of the later games he's worked on, especially like Pokemon Shuffle, how varied he can be and stuff like that. But there's a lot of evidence of that here as well, and that's very much appreciated. So good effort, despite this, you know, potentially just being a thing with maybe just a few new songs. They really did... Uh, he really did put in uh, a lot of work and effort and refinement into it, so very much appreciate that. All right, well, uh, we've got a few pieces of feedback to go over before we talk about our next episode and wrap up and stuff. Um, so this first comment is, uh, hopefully most of you have already heard this, but it is a bit of a downer. So this is from my interview with Ralph Shuckett that I did, I believe, back in 2014, if I remember correctly. This is part three. This is the part about Pokemon 2000 specifically. Um, and uh, Gabriel Young put in a comment that just says, Rip Master, or rest in peace. So yeah, unfortunately, uh, the month before we recorded this, so April of 2021, Ralph Shuckett very sadly uh, passed away, and uh, uh, I was showing this to Anne in our pre-discussion, and, and uh, actually she had not heard of that yet. Um, and you want to kind of talk about what what's sort of your overall thoughts on his work on the franchise, I guess is the best way I, I can put it right now. Well, it, it's hard to say. Like, I just the nature of the things that he worked on, he was... He worked on Pokemon, obviously, the first movie, which is kind of was my entrance into the fandom, really. And he worked on Yu-Gi-Oh! He worked on Kirby. He worked on a lot of projects, probably more than I'm even aware of. So in a way, he was the music of not my childhood exactly, but like my young adultness and going into college age, which was a a time of life where media and entertainment was... I was making a lot of um, connections with literary and storytelling and deciding what I wanted to be in life and all those things. So it's kind of very touching to think that his music kind of was a part of that part of my growing up. And and it's always sad when somebody, you know, passes out of this mortal coil. So, but he, he definitely left a lot to be remembered by. Yeah, like I said, this was for me about a month ago. I actually found out because his older sister posted a comment on on one of these videos and thanked me for it, which, you know, I'm obviously very, I don't know if proud is the right word, but, um, you know, glad to have been able to provide some level of solace. And we should mention Ralph does have a, a history outside of Pokemon. He was in a band called... Uh, Utopia with Todd Rundgren for a few years. He's done a ton of other stuff. Um, and obviously in this episode, we talked a lot about Lugia, and he wrote the dub theme for for that character. So, um, I mean, it's hard, and I'm definitely going to, to miss that. But uh, left behind, as, you know, all, all great creators do, a... a, a an immense catalog of, of wonderful works. So, um, but did want to give Anne a, a chance to, uh, sort of get her feelings out there. All right. Well, on a bit of a lighter note, um, about a month ago, I put up an excerpt from our smash brothers discussion, 
So this isn't, I guess, explicitly Pokemon related. We did a discussion of the music of Smash Brothers for N64 and Melee as a single episode. And uh, the excerpt I pulled out is actually about Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, which I had mentioned in our discussion kind of had, uh, even then, when Melee came out, its sort of current reputation of being sort of the, the weird one, the different one, and so on and so forth. And uh, found it kind of interesting that one of its songs had been used in, in Melee, although we had some ideas about that. Um, we got a comment from Apple... See, Apple's Gosh, uh, I think is how you pronounce that. It says, never thought about this, and it's one of my favorite songs from the game. Well, it is odd to use music from this more obscure Zelda game. I think the Fire Emblem characters at the time were even more obscure. So, at least to me, it feels less odd compared to them. So, sort of the, the whole gist of it is that Zelda 2, being not the most popular entry in the series... It was kind of interesting to have its its music used in there, and we we sort of tried to come up with a few reasons. Maybe because we it fit better with Smash Bros., which is uh, generally speaking a side scrolling game, despite being rendered in three D. Um, but the comment here from from Apple's gosh is kind of interesting, talking about the Fire Emblem characters, which at that point were pretty much unknown in the West since none of their games had come out. I don't know, Andy, have uh, any thoughts on on any of this? Um. I'm not the person to ask just because um, I like video games a lot, but I wouldn't consider myself a gamer. So, like, I didn't recognize the Fire Emblem characters, um, but I also didn't recognize many characters <laughs> and uh, continue to not recognize characters in um, Smash iterations. So I I may, uh, yeah, I just may not have the perspective to properly comment on it. But that is uh, an interesting thing to bring up now that it's brought to my attention. Like, if Fire Emblem wasn't really out in the West, then yeah, that's almost even weirder of a choice. It, um, but I, again, it's a Japanese game. So primarily Japan would have known who they were, I guess. So it, not weird on their side, maybe, of things, but over here. I mean, now, of course, Fire Emblem is very well known in the West. Um, it started like in the GameCube and GBA era, which, of course, was right around the time not long after Melee came out. So they I'm not sure if that was some synergy there or, or what. But especially, you know, with I think Three Houses is the latest Fire Emblem game. I haven't had really a chance to play it, but much better well known now. But yeah, you look then... So I guess you could say that yeah, Zelda 2 certainly was not the most obscure place to pull from on there. All right. Well, with our, our feedback out of the way, um, maybe wondering what's our next episode? Well, so chronologically, the next Pokemon side game that was released is Pokemon Troze for the Nintendo DS. However, although the sound and music of this game is definitely I really like it and I think it's definitely worth talking about there isn't really a lot to go around in this game there's actually very little it was uh, it's another genius sonority game so I guess right after this one uh, Gale of Darkness wrapped uh, Tsukasa Tawada did some work for this one and like I said I like the sound there's not a lot to talk about so uh, we just still want to cover it. So to sort of lengthen out that discussion, we're adding an insert another song discussion. So Anne and I are each going to pick out a song 
most likely from the first two movies that is on the soundtrack, but not actually in the movie. And we're going to try and pick a place in the actual movie itself, not necessarily the end credits or anything like that, um, that we think it would go. I kind of have my pick. I, I uh, Going back to our disputed Pokemon songs, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the episode or not, um, but I've kind of mused about putting Making My Way any way that I can in the uh, dock building uh, scene and part of that, uh, although I might explore some other possibilities. And I know you're you're still mulling over your potential possibilities. You do have some time to think about it, but uh, I have some potentials. <laughs> there are a fair number of choices, and you know, also it could be something from the Japanese side as well, as there are some things in the soundtrack that weren't actually used uh, in the movies. But that'll be our next discussion. Until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. All right. Well, despite Anne's kind of lack of experience with uh, Gale of Darkness, she has played Coliseum, and we're going to try and draw some comparisons here in our game discussion. Uh, mechanically, there are really a couple of major differences. One of those is that uh, I think the purification system in Coliseum got a lot of flack for being too inflexible and difficult to get uh, Pokemon purified. They changed a lot of stuff in this in uh, Gale of Darkness. Now, the first couple ones you have to purify go through pretty much the same process. Uh, you still have to battle with them for a while, put them out into battle, and all that fun stuff. But once you uh, have a certain number of them purified, you can start using them and arrange them around other shadow Pokemon to purify them in sort of this place that the game offers in sort of the, the place where you start the game. I don't know. Anne, what were your kind of thoughts on the purification system in the original Coliseum? And does what I just described, does that sound like it would help you or? It's hard to say without actually playing it. Like, I do seem to remember the bits I played of Coliseum that I struggled. Um, I also did, I, I, I don't, I didn't own that game either. So I don't think I really spent enough time with it to like really, you know, get to know the system well. So this look what things look like when I'm watching Let's Plays and things. It does look like it. They've maybe answered some of the critiques and the comments that people have had about the original purification system. So, I really like the idea of being able to arrange your other Pokemon around to kind of help with that process. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and there's a whole system there where if you sort of match just the types in a certain way, you can speed up the process and stuff like that. Um, I also think it's it's pretty helpful. I think there are more Shadow Pokemon in this game. Not that there were super few in the first one, but it seems like there are more this time around. I guess one other point of comparison. Um, now, when we talked about Coliseum, you had not had a chance to encounter Shadow Pokemon in Pokemon Go. Has that changed since, Anne? Um, n- no. <laughs> I still have not found... Uh, I'm To be honest, I haven't played Pokemon Go in a little while. I should probably go take a walk and 
All right. Well, um, you know, very different system there. You catch the Pokemon after you battle the Team Go Rocket person, and then you can purify it with a few candies and some Stardust. So certainly... That's simple. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a very different game as well, so it's not surprising. The mechanics are very, very different. But as far as uh, the going back to the Shadow Pokemon in Gale of Darkness, um, in Colosseum, there's only one like Shadow move called Shadow Rush, which is basically a recoil move that does typeless damage. So it's kind of good against anything you use it against. Uh, but like I said, it does recoil damage, which is actually kind of annoying because then the, the Shadow Pokemon you're trying to catch can knock itself out with recoil, which um, not so great. Now in this one, they've vastly broaden that there are many different shadow moves um now i think they also make it more difficult for a variety of reasons because actually the the shadow moves are now like super effective against non-shadow pokemon and stuff like that so they do a ton of damage and they have all sorts of different effects um and like i said uh, do you think the variety is a good thing there or I mean, from a literary standpoint, I absolutely approve this change. I want those shadow attacks to be big. I want them to wreck my team. I want them to be a threat. From uh, actually playing the game, I think I would. Uh, I think I would beg for mercy. So it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. So when you fight um, uh, Grievel himself. He has uh, like a, a full team of shadow Pokemon to start off with, which includes like the three, going back to Pokemon 2000, the three legendary birds from Gen 1 in shadow form, as well as a couple other shadow Pokemon. And I think most, if not all of them, have multiple shadow moves. So they can really mess up your team there. So you kind of almost have to grind a little bit to just to get kind of through that battle. So it definitely makes those aspect tougher, aspects tougher especially once you get to the cases where there are multiple shadow Pokemon on a team. So I guess they made the purification process easier, but actually battling shadow Pokemon, well, it is more varied. And in some ways I would say, uh, I don't know if more fair is probably not the right word, but it is a lot tougher too. All right, so we kind of mentioned the other difference here. I forget his default name, but the player character is a lot less edgy than in the first game uh, in Colosseum. In Colosseum, you play, I think his default name is Wes, and he's like a, kind of a tough teen type of character. In this one, you're playing someone who's at least a few years younger and stuff like that. I don't know. And how do you feel about that change? He, I'm not a fan of this design. He looks like he is going to the con, and he could not decide which cosplay to wear, so he wore them both. Like... <laughs> I'm not a fan, but he does look like he's happy, and that's what I want from my Pokemon protagonists. I want them to enjoy life, and so in that sense, he's he looks like he's not as much of a troubled teen, and he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so definitely a different origin story for your main character. Much more in line, I suppose, with sort of the main series games, at least in terms of age range. Mm-mm. Definitely not an anti-hero or mysterious background character like Wes was in, in Coliseum. You also don't have the companion character like um, like uh, Rui uh, was in the first one, which I guess, I don't know, maybe that at least cuts down the number of polygons on screen. Better frame rate, I'm not sure. Maybe. 
Now, we had mentioned uh, Mir B returned, and I think some of his cohorts did as well. But actually, a lot of the uh, other major characters are new in this game. Um, I, I think uh, Rui isn't in this game, but her, her grandfather or whatever is. But uh, the evil team, in addition to Grievel being a new character, seems to have a, a bunch of new other folks. What did you think of, the, of that cast of characters, Anne? Um, they were interesting. I didn't, sorry, I didn't take as many notes on those guys, but so let me look them up real quick. Like, they were fun there, but again, like, given that I didn't play this game, I didn't spend a ton of time with them, so I guess I'm not sure I have a ton to say about them. Yeah, one that stands out for me is this very lanky woman. I'm not sure. It looks like she's at least like maybe in high school age or something like that. But um, visually, she stands out. I can't remember exactly what her character is like. I think the I was gonna say that's the pink haired girl, right? I believe so. Yeah. So that one definitely okay. stands out to me. And then there are a couple others. There's a like an evil scientist type guy. Um, and a few other ones there. Maybe not as memorable as some of the folks in Coliseum, although I think I've I've played more Coliseum there, so maybe that stands out. Like I said, though, uh, uh, Mir B does return, so I guess they kept the uh, the one that resonated the most with fans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of think that Pokemon kind of has an established tradition of having a team with a very recognizable costume and uh and like a uniform and a and a cause that's just very obvious and like i don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing to break away from that because i'm always talking about how we don't need team rocket in every movie but it it one downside of that potentially is that it sometimes makes your bad guys a little harder to remember or harder to i don't know make a connection with it's a it's a it's a choice that every developer has to make, I suppose. Yeah, so maybe not bad designs, but maybe not the most memorable either, so. Yeah, and again, not memorable to a person who didn't, who mostly just watched a lot of Let's Plays, who didn't actually play the game. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I suppose. I assume, Anne, that you wish you had, not just because of the price, but uh, on the secondhand market these days, but for other reasons, I assume you really wished you had had a chance to play this, huh? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't own a GameCube, but had I won, like, this would definitely be one of the games I would want to play. Like, it looks like it was a lot of fun, and there's so many little things that, you know, years and years later, people are still talking about them, so... It, it does feel a little bit like you're missing out sometimes. Oh, yeah. I suppose if you did have a backwards compatible Wii, you could have played this on there as long as you uh, picked it up before uh, it went out of circulation and became uh, very pricey like it is now. But, yeah, I definitely recommend this game. Um, it, it is, gameplay-wise, uh, a more polished version of Coliseum with a somewhat different story, more areas to explore and stuff like that. But... 